0: Buried in the Hebrew scriptures lies a feature that unlocks a world of meaning in the Bible. It's like a treasure hidden away from us. It's hidden for a number of reasons, but it mostly has to do with language. In English, the word's just an ordinary word, but in the biblical Hebrew, it's an extraordinary word. The word in English is tree. In Hebrew, it's eights. Now, in English, when we say tree, we pretty much know what we mean. It's a very specific word. And then we have other words that further kind of go on to describe even parts of the tree. So you can have a a branch or even a stick, and we have a trunk. And then if we wanted to cut a tree up, we would have other words that would further describe with further specificity. So you have timber and lumber. But in Hebrew, all of those words are communicated by the word etz. So eights is tree, it is stick, eights is branch, eights is lumber, eights is timber. Even more so, if you were to have in English, say, a wooden tool, you would use the word wood, not tree. But in Hebrew, it would be eights still. And so, for example, in Numbers 35, we read, if he struck him down with a wooden tool that could cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The word here for wooden in the text is actually eights. So in English, we read something like a wooden tool, but in Hebrew, it'd be more like tree tool. Additionally, if someone is killed on a device that is made of wood, in Hebrew, the word again would be eights, tree. So for example, in the book of Esther, a man named Haman wants to kill a guy named Mordecai by hanging him on the gallows. In English, we would read gallows, but in Hebrew, again, it's the same word word. eight, we read in Esther. And the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king and having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The English translators are helping us at this point because they know we don't say things like tree hanging device, we say gallows, and they know we don't say things like tree tool, we say wooden tools. So there's an attempt there to help clarify, but also there's something that we might be missing that the text is actually trying to do. So to review. In Hebrew, you have the word eights, and that is a flexible word that can mean tree, it can mean trunk, it can mean branch, it can mean stick. Additionally, if you chop up a tree to use it for something like lumber, you still have the word eights being used. Now, when you understand that concept and begin to look at eights, trees throughout the Bible, significant meaning will begin to emerge. You can start to see certain things unlocked in the biblical passages. So what I'd like to do is take us through several scenes in the Bible and walk through how trees are being used and see how the theme plays out in Scripture. And when we do that, we'll begin to see something emerge, a composite picture of a much larger story taking place. So first, we start in scene one in the garden. The first scene is actually the first story in the Bible. We find Adam and Eve and they are in a garden. And the text draws our attention to the fact that there's trees there, specifically too. There is an eighth, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a different eighth, the tree of life. And in that, Adam and Eve are presented with a decision, uh, a testing, if you will, And the idea is this, that Adam and Eve can choose to live in fellowship with God and choose to be obedient to him and eat of the tree of life, or they can eat of a tree that they are forbidden to. And if you're familiar with the story, a serpent appears and basically tells the first humans that God is holding back on you. He's holding out on you. No, you can eat of that tree. You should eat of that tree. You can be like God. You will have your eyes opened. So in front of the tree, humans are presented with a decision, a testing, a trial to see if they will be obedient. Now, a quick side note that's incredibly important at this point. Human beings are told and commanded to be fruitful and multiply. They're given this command along with the, the command to have dominion all of creation. Now, it's fascinating here, is if you're familiar with the story, there's somebody else, something else, that's also given the command to be fruitful and multiply. See, both humans and trees in Hebrew have a zera, a seed. And with that seed, God commands both humans and trees to be fruitful and to multiply. It's as if the biblical authors are mapping trees and humans upon each other. This will be important later. Now back to the story. Adam and Eve have this important decision. Will they be obedient or will they disobey? The story says, and we all know at this point, that they choose to disobey God. They sin, and sin enters into the cosmos, into creation, and it spirals out of control. Nevertheless, an important theme is established. Times of testing and an option to be obedient to God or go your own way are presented to humans in front of the eights. God, however, chooses a man named Abraham to be his blessing, his agent of blessing. He says, in and through your seed, your Zerah in Hebrew, Abraham, you will bless all the families of the earth. And so Abraham has his son, Isaac. But at this point, Abraham is presented with another decision, another time of testing, another trial. In Genesis chapter 22, we read, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The command, go and sacrifice your only son It's like, what? What in the world is going on? Abraham is probably thinking, God, I thought you were good. I thought you chose me. I was supposed to be a blessing to all people. This is my seed, my son, the descendant that was going to continue on the blessing. I mean, this is unthinkable what is occurring. But the text goes on from this point. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham cuts down wood? No, Abraham doesn't cut down wood. He cuts down eight. He cuts down tree. The story goes on. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham tells his men that he and the boy will come back down. He's going up to worship, and both of them will return. Now, some people might say that Abraham's lying at this point, but that's not the case. Abraham has no idea what's about to occur, but he continues to have faith and trust in the goodness of his God. So he declares, we go to worship and we're coming back down this mountain. The story goes on. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Abraham places the wood on the back of his son, Isaac. No, no, remember the theme, Abraham places the eights, the tree on the back of his son, Isaac. An old Jewish saying reflects on this passage and says that Isaac is like a condemned criminal carrying his stake of execution up the hill. Now pause, Isaac is like a condemned man carrying the tree of his execution up the mountain. It goes on. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. We can easily miss this here, but again, the theme of tree is appearing in the exact same manner. You have somebody presented with a trial and a decision before the tree. Will Abraham be obedient? Will he be faithful? Will he have to sacrifice his son Isaac? Now, ultimately God provides. There's a ram in a thicket and the place is subsequently named Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. But the idea and the theme is there before the tree, a time of testing. And let's move to scene three. Again, we find ourselves in another time of testing before the trees. The scene is this. Moses and the Israelites have been recently freed from slavery in Egypt. God has climactically, miraculously delivered them. However, now they find themselves in the wilderness. And on their journey, they are now at the point where they lack water to such a degree that they are facing dehydration and death. The text says they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log. The Lord showed Moses a log. He shows him a log. Do you see what the biblical authors are trying to do at this point? Now you might be me saying this is a stretch, Isaac. Come on, there's just a log here. But it's not log. The Lord did not show Moses a log. In Hebrew, it's eights. The Lord showed Moses an eights, and He draws His attention to it and says, "Take that eights and throw it into the water." And then what happens is miraculous. God changes the bitter waters, which leads to death, to waters that lead to life. The water changes from bitter to sweet. And it all happens because Moses takes a tree and something occurs that transforms water from death to life. Now, listen to how the biblical authors frame this incident. They want you to see it in a certain light. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. This theme will continue throughout the Bible, significant times of testing and trial before the trees. It's always a decision. Will man do right in his own eyes, or will he do what's right in God's eyes? And these decisions take place in front of trees. Now, what I'd like to do is flash forward and leave behind the Old Testament and go to the New Testament to another test, another trial that takes place before the eights. Scene four, it is the night of Jesus' betrayal. And where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves again in a garden, specifically the Garden of Gethsemane. It's located at the Mount of Olives. Jesus is surrounded by trees and he knows what's about to occur. He knows that the cross awaits. He knows about the crucifixion that's impending. It's at this point, Luke 22 tells us, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed saying, father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus prays to his father, if there's any other way, may it be so. He knows what's before him. He knows the image of the tree of pain, the tree of torment. In the Old Testament, it says, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. They're cursed if they hang from a tree. And Jesus knows he must die the cursed man's death. The cross is before him. The agonizing image is there haunting. But Jesus does something remarkable at this point. He does what Adam could not do. Jesus says, not my will, Lord, your will be done. And then the unthinkable happens. Jesus is handed over. He is beaten, flogged, and tortured, and handed over to be crucified. Listen to how John tells of this. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. Jesus carries the wood like a criminal to his place of execution. Jesus is then nailed immovable to a tree. He is nailed to the cross. The suffering servant goes to the cross, and for all the hideousness that the cross is, all the monster that it is, the agony of seeing a human being suffer, Jesus imposes his will upon the cross and transforms that hideous image into an image of beauty. The cross could not contain what Jesus was doing. No longer a tree of death, no longer a tree of torment, no longer a crucifixion device. It is being changed from a tree of death to a tree of beauty, a tree of life. Now, how could this be? We have to think about the themes. What do good trees do? Good trees bear fruit and Jesus, like a seed being buried into the ground will become the first fruits of the resurrection. See on the day of Easter, while it was still dark and the sun was about to rise, two women set out to go to the tomb. And what they discover is that as the sun rises, the tomb is empty. 1 Corinthians 15:20 20 through 23 reads, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Jesus dies the cursed man's death in order that we might have life. Galatians 3, 13 through 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus does the unthinkable. He goes into the horrors of the cross. He goes into the horrors of death itself and comes out on the other side. And he does this not just to come back to life, but he does it in obedience to his father and he does it on our behalf. He goes into death itself and comes out. We know We are loved because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the good news of Easter that Jesus didn't stay dead. He resurrects in power and glory, and He invites us into His life. And we too today stand before a tree with a decision Will we submit ourselves to the one who gave up His life in order that we might have life? Will we trust him with our sin, our shame, our faults, our failures, our defeats, our victories? Will we give him everything, our hearts, our lives? Will we say to him, your will be done and not my will be done? If God can transform the image of the cross, if he could take that image of agony and torture and turn it into something of beauty, if he can change the tree of death to a tree of life, then surely he can change your Life. He can take all the horrible and ugly things and turn them into something beautiful. Wherever you're at today, whoever you are, what Easter says is that God loves you. Christ died for you, He died to change you from the inside out. This is the good news of Easter. Jesus is alive. He is resurrected in power and glory. So whoever you are, believer or unbeliever, today is the day and now is the time to turn your attention to the cross and say, Jesus, I trust in you. I have faith in you and I want to be obedient to you. Let your will be done in my life. May you transform me by the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection.